this room. It's supposed to, but, like, not until 7 o'clock at night. Oh, really? I thought it was 4. Welcome to Tower After Hours Podcast, the snow day edition. (laughs) That is very timely information. (laughs) Um, Today we have Alyssa Gailey, the um, account executive here. Thanks, Amanda. You're so welcome. (laughs) Um, We have Kate, our office manager, and uh, Tim, our lead designer. So I'm amongst, like, Developer. Or developer, sorry. <laughs> he was sorry. ready. Sorry, he develop, was like, develop, develop. He was like, at what point do I break her heart? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. It's a snow day. It's all fine. Um, but I feel like I'm amongst royalty as as you all are the head of things. But here we are. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you sweating yet? A little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> a little bit. Well, hi. It's here. warm in here. Um... Kate, do you want to go first? Um, sure. <laughs> Since it's fresh in your mind. Yes, fresh. <laughs> um, so I brought today an article regarding the new mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, his name is Gritty. and It's not a very it. attractive name. Um, it really is It's not an attractive guy, no. in all honesty. <laughs> there, there are worse names in the NHL. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. You guys were talking about this in our like Slack, and I had no idea what what this creature was. So, the Philadelphia Flyers, which is our hometown hockey team, um, brought a new mascot to the stage in late September. Um, kind of looks like somebody from Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. A lot yep. bigger. Um, so, this article is kind of talking about what all went into creating this mascot and what it's going to do for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Did they have a mascot... Before they released this, uh, no, they were the one of the final teams on the HL that did not have a mascot. Right. The last time they had a mascot was back in nineteen, I think it's nineteen seventy four. His name was Slapshot. He was uh, <laughs> he was modeled after one of the characters in the actual movie because he had the big kind of black, thick yeah. black rimmed glasses, and he was only there for a year before huh. they got rid of him. So. By adding Gritty to the, the Flyers, the Flyers now have the, basically they finally have a, a mascot for the NHL after a right, really long time. All of the other Philadelphia athletic teams have a mascot, and yes. they the, finally do too. So we have the Philly Fanatic, the Eagles Swoop, and then the 76ers Franklin. Yes. And now the Flyers Gritty. Um, so they are talking about you know, concerns on launching this guy and what he might do. Um, they were giving themselves two weeks to two months to let him kind of, I guess, become a fa- favorite. They Whoa. were worried that he might not do well. Because their last actually, one didn't, right? Yes, not. Um, so there was concern there, but it actually only took 24 hours, which is great. Really? Yeah. Whoa. So, um... It was like the talk of the town. I remember it. It was, uh, yeah, it was... The, the initial reaction, I, I remember reading the hockey subreddit when he was first announced. Because they, they'd even hint at it. Well, they hinted at it when they were releasing videos for the Wells Fargo renovations. Oh. So that was kind of part of his backstory, was they found him during the renovations. So that was kind of how they eased him into the Interesting. Uh, so there were these funny pictures. You know how when people have kids nowadays, they do the little one month. Yeah. Two months. Oh, they no. They do that with Gritty. Stop it. The listeners can't one month, like oh, it's those nine like, pounds, eight yeah. Ounces. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, you know, a little gritty. Yeah. Um, 
So a way to, I guess, a couple of facts on how successful he was. In the first 30 days, they drove the audience from 16 million to 70 million. My wow. God. not just local audience that was a national audience. And then it went from, he got nearly 5 billion impressions, which was worth over 151 million in earned media. Yeah, Someone a... needs a raise. Yeah. So. How does he only have 320 followers on Twitter? Is this the wrong one, Tim? No, this is just you for... You the wrong one? This is... No, this is NHL Gritty. This is the official. This is... You sure the, it's not that one? Gritty NHL is the official. Gritty NHL? The um, one... The second, one. September 24th? Maybe. Yeah. Right above that. Up. Yeah. Another one. That. Tim led us astray. There it is. You led us astray, Tim. 61,000 I guess only true fans know the Twitter handle. Uh, I, I don't use Twitter. Yeah. Whoa. That looks much better. Yeah. 161K. Yeah, see if I can zoom all the way to the, the one that started it all. Oh, no. There he is. So while we're searching Twitter, um, they were talking about how there were over a hundred different options on what this mascot could look at. So kind of like our designers going back and forth. Yeah. Comes to like logos and branding. This guy had... He looks like a Muppet. Could have been anybody. Yeah, he looks like <laughs> a Muppet for sure. Um, some of the things that went into the creation of Gritty. How much hair should he have coming out of his helmet? Should he have eyebrows? Should he have a tail? What a should job. Should he be able to fly? Should he have an overbite? Thanks. I want to be. I want to be the person who makes those. Things. Should he not have a nose? Because obviously he doesn't. <laughs> I wonder if that's purposeful. How does he smell? <laughs> Maybe he uses his beard. <laughs> so the key things here that are working for the Philadelphia Flyers um, are his monster-like features, his pretty built arms, and his dad bod. Wow. So they've truly the developed the persona around it. Well, here's the thing is, in, in the first articles that they had released um, regarding him, was he was actually the code developed by the, the guy who created the Philadelphia Fanatic. Huh. Mm, okay. And they actually, his design was actually created by uh, focus groups with children. So the children provided the input on Whoa. the character. So he's not, like, scary. You think? Well, well, that's what. So when he first came out and he had the introductory video, people were like, "Oh my God, this is nightmare fuel." Yeah. Like people were like, "This is he's crazy. He looks like he like does math." The eyes. I think the eyes are what. Yeah. The the his, the his, eyes move and that doesn't I'll help. See them later in my sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So so essentially, they the, to adults, he looked insane. Yeah. And that helped because people love crazy. <laughs> yes, please. I'm first in and, line for and crazy. And it especially worked for the Flyers because of the just the personality of the team and the history. But and yeah, the fans. And the fans, especially. Um, but yeah, it it worked out perfectly because people were like, what is this? Even Philadelphians were like, what is this? <laughs> and people were like, he looks, he's terrible. And people from Philly were like, no, he's perfect. And <laughs> Would you say that Philadelphia is a great Yes, Gritty City, number one. Yeah. That's kind Interesting. of one of the, the topics of the article, that Philly is a Gritty City, and that's wow. where he works. Yeah, it's those eyes. It's, it's the, that. the googly <laughs> eyes that go around. Oh, Friend, wow. cheesesteaks are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they actually have in his bio... Um, he, he has sustained himself off of the snow from the Zamboni machines. 
and the dollar hot dog nights that they have. I mean, I don't you just live to write like the persona of a yeah. Yep. Like sports team mascot. That's what I said. I want the job to make those decisions about what he looks like and how he was. And like what he eats yeah. and where he lives yeah. and what he does in his free time. So, yeah. Dream job. What would a tower mascot look like? Ooh, I can't even. Plot twist. About, you know, various employees puppies being the mascot, but. We have an owner an who's allergic to puppies. I, I, I'm still vouching to like just bring in puppies anyway and just. <laughs> Like Melissa McCarthy from Bridesmaids. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yes. When she and goes to visit. Person. Yeah, when she goes to visit, what's her name the next yeah. day? <laughs> we'll just put we'll just put our owner in a bubble. She took like nine. Yeah. And it's fine. It's fine. But yeah. That was good. That was my topic. Cool. All right. Big orange guy. Big orange guy. Tim or Tim or Alyssa? Uh, I guess I could go. Okay, Tim. There was a new Freakonomics podcast today about open office layouts. Did you ever read that book? Freakonomics? Uh, I've... I have it if you ever want to borrow it. It's hard to get through. I had to read it in high school. It was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Good good stuff. Uh, I, I wasn't there. You ever want to check that out of my library? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, their 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 series is really good, and today's all, the topic was open office layouts and why everyone hates them. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. When you sent that, I was like, "Is he really doing that, or is that, was that just a jab at our open office layout?" <laughs> 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 really subliminal messaging. I, like, after you listen to it, it's like, yeah, the, the title of it was like, why, you know, why does it, everyone hate them? So you, you expect it going in with negative connotations. Mm-hmm. And they actually had covered a lot of empirical studies on them. Mm-hmm. And so this new one was, you know, how does, it was a study where they were taking a look at three companies that were looking to move from cubicles to the open office layout. And they said, as a result of the, the, you know, of these transitions, face-to-face communications actually decreased 70%. In open office. When they transitioned from cubicle to open office. Interesting. So face-to-face actually went down. Electronic went up 20 to 50%. I don't believe that. Huh. And they attributed to that to um, a couple of ideas where people just didn't want to disrupt others as they're working because if I'm having a conversation, I'm going to be bothering the people around you with it. Yeah. So that's why people were doing more electronic, less face-to-face. Uh, there's also the idea that they have physical behaviors and physical, physical signaling where if I'm sitting at my desk typing away and I got my earbuds in, it's pretty much you're signaling with people, don't talk to me. Yeah. So people are going to like use like Slack or whatever <laughs> to communicate with you instead. Yeah. I'm just going to walk around with my earbuds in <laughs> and just the string hanging down. <laughs> not plugged in. Like, 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 it's like reading some printouts and just, mm, yeah, like, just flipping through. Hey, I'm Alyssa. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm uh, <laughs> just shuffle my papers. Uh, or just pick up the earbuds and put them in. Or just mutter to yourself. <laughs> just, like, just like fetal position in your chair. <laughs> and then thirdly, they um, the one researcher was talking about the transparency paradox where as a workplace becomes more open and more transparent, the employees act less so. And 
the reason they were saying is like if I'm really productive in the morning and I need to take a break, I'm going to be sitting at my desk doing non-productive stuff, which because people can see you, they're like, oh, he's slacking off, even though you have like a really productive morning and just need like a moment to recharge. So you're going to be spending time and effort of your own day to like kind of like making sure that you're not going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had like, you know, your own cubicle, you don't have to worry about that because right. it's only going to be people mm-hmm. walking by or whatever. I have this vision of the office show where Dwight yeah. like takes a ruler and goes in between him and Jim's desk yeah. and basically says like, this is the line. Like, or when he does the pencils. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Jim does the pencils, and then Dwight goes through with the stapler and just hits <laughs> every pencil. Space, but we're to work yeah. Each other. And, and so part of the the podcast too was they talked about also like working from home, and you know, they did, talked about one study that was done in China where having employees working from home act, actually increased productivity thirteen percent. And the company that did, that was being the part of the study, they saved about $2,000 a month per employee. Whoa. Because people aren't taking sick time and they're not... Yeah, it's the sick time. It's they're more productive. Um, If they're sick, they can just stay at home and work. They don't have to worry about, like, calling out. So they can actually still do work while they're sick. Okay. Uh, And they did talk about how at... You know, during the one point in the study, employees actually elected to start coming back into the office because they just were like, it's too quiet at my house. Yeah, I believe mm-hmm. that. Uh, but they did talk about some of the, the cons to that would be, would be employees who do end up working more at home end up getting passed over for promotions more. Either because right. of the out of sight, out of mind, where it's like, yeah. oh, we don't see them around, so... Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, right. I forgot you worked here because you don't... <laughs> Yeah. Wow. yeah, or people would involve or would voluntarily pass over promotions because they don't want to now show up at the office. Right. Um, hmm. So I mean, so they they did show they did talk about some pros of the the open office where you can have like serendipitous communications where it's like I'll hear like this will happen sometimes when like yeah. you and Kelly were like talking about like some content pieces and it's like oh that's something I know about and I can like chime in on that. Right. So there's that kind of like unforeseen communi- like conversations and unforeseen like discovery that happens with mm-hmm. an open office, mm-hmm. which is part of the benefit, but uh, you know you still have the biggest problems, which is always when you deal with open office, it's always the noise. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest complaint. Um, and they did in, in the later part of the, the podcast, they did talk about how, how do you address those problems of the open office? Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is it's always resolved by design and architecture, whether it's uh, because the one thing you people forget is with noise, there's you know, audio noise and then there's visual noise. So mm-hmm. pe- you see a lot of people moving back and forth. Right. That's very distracting. So they talked about how you can use uh, architecture and design to kind of create kind of almost enclosures or like lower the ceiling more, or mm-hmm. place some kind of dividers around where yeah. people aren't getting distracted or you have like white noise generators which kind of like creates like a hum but they did say like the one one thing that's also kind of forgotten is a a loud office is just as bad as a quiet office yeah so because if it because that. that when you have that buzz it puts energy into the room whereas mm-hmm. if it's like library quiet it's like nope. nobody wants to do anything right I think it's interesting. So obviously we're in a very, very, very open office, especially right now since we expanded just square footage space. 
but knowing kind of uh, we're going through a renovation and knowing what our new design features will be, there will be elements of a lowered ceiling. There will be higher divisions between people who sit along the walls in our office. So I'm actually interested Mm -hmm. to see how it changes our dynamic. So, you know, we're really trying to separate the space that a client or a potential client or a candidate to our job interview Mm -hmm. and the rest of the team kind of exist in. Um, And we're even kind of separating out like where our printer is Mm -hmm. from where our kitchen will be, that kind of stuff. So I'm really kind of interested to see if it helps. Um, And instead, like for us right now, everyone kind of sits at weird different angles and everyone for the most part will be sitting at the same or opposite angles. Um, So I think it will still be open office. Like certainly there won't be any doors anywhere, but it's going to be more enclosed than we are now. Um, It might force us to get up and actually... It may. Yeah, I think for me, like, the biggest struggle I personally have with open office is the ability to focus. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I've got something, if I'm, like, just, you know, managing emails or working in a project management system or just doing a whole bunch of small tasks, I don't mind it so much. But when I have to sit down and focus on, like, creating a budget or evaluating a project timeline, stuff like that, that's when I can't focus if there's a lot going on kind of behind me. Um, So that's, like, the biggest struggle, but I'm interested. I don't know. I came from a place, my first internship was in a corporate setting and we, it was a cubicle farm. Um, and I, my cube was right along like the main throughway kind of in and out. Um, and it's isolative. Like you can hear the people around you, but the walls of the cube are so high that you can't see anything. Um, so then, so when it's quiet, it's kind of like, am I here by myself? Mm Mm-hmm. But then when it's loud, I mean, when there is noise, you tune into it, and then you forget what you're doing completely. My old office, I had cubicles like that, but then we were transferred to another building that had lower cubicles, so everything was open. You had your own space. You had a little bit of a wall, but you saw everything around you, Yeah. and there was just downsides to both both of them, for sure. I went from being in a semi-private office to... In the middle of ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, so I went from a semi, semi-private office, which I shared with one other developer. And then from there, I went to an open office layout, which was meant to hold probably 30 people, but there were only five filling it. Oh, my. So, oh, man. Yeah, really so, it was re- so it was really... Really yeah. open, really empty, but it was like because there wasn't a lot of people, and I was kind of like off in my own little corner. Yeah, it wasn't a problem. Right. I wasn't surrounded by anybody. Right. Uh, and it was also like because there were five of us, it doesn't yeah. get very loud. And then I come into here where it's like more enclosed, yeah. a lot more activity moving around. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are a lot more distracting things. It's interesting. Like my husband works in a corporate structure. And they have the half cube. Yep. But they all sit like in quadrants and they all face each other. So like if the oh, four of us cool. are around this table, like you and I would technically be looking at each other, but we'd both have monitors in front of us. So I could probably see you like this, but, yeah. and I almost wonder like, is that distracting? Is it not? Like when he describes it to me, I'm like, no, Yeah. uh uh-uh. no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't need to like stare at the person across from me all day. I don't need you on my right staring at me. All mm-hmm. Like, no thanks. It almost would add more anxiety to me. Yeah. But if you get used to it, you right. probably don't even know any different. 
after a period of time. So. Wow. Interesting. That's crazy. Fascinating, Tim. Yeah. That was very good. Riveting podcast recap. I need you to come back on and tell us how you feel once the renovation's done. Yes. Yeah. Follow up. Oh, no. I, I keep seeing different layouts. So I, I, my biggest thing is <laughs> the, the one the one thing I, I am always concerned. It hasn't changed all that what much. What is your ideal space for you? Well, the, the, biggest <laughs> <problem> I, <laughs> the biggest problem I saw with the last blueprint was it's you got to make sure you have the electrical and the networking in the yeah. right spot. Yeah. That's always... Because the, the one thing I think a lot of people tend to forget is, oh, yeah, this is great. We have all of our desks here, and this yeah. is where the computers go. And it's like, yeah, you forgot you have to you know power those yeah. computers. Yeah, I think the challenge that we're having is... So we know, like, we know where the three de- where we want the three developers to sit. Like, they're kind of huddled together. But then the question we were looking at it, we're like, they most of them have like two, three monitors. Mm-hmm. We can't go horizontally, like we are now. So how are we going to go vertically? Stuff like that. And then like the internet marketing team is so much bigger. I mean, what six or seven people yeah. that. Yeah, there might be, like, a very internet marketing section, but there's going to have to be a few people who are kind of off to the side. And then do you put, like, the two content people across the office with social and SEO? And it's stuff like that and, like, decision-making that. And then as we add more people. Where do they go? Right. We know where the open seats will be on day one, but... Does that mean we have to re... Like, it's it's stuff like that. It's just... It's going to be interesting over time. So... So my article is culturally focused as well, just in a different line of culture. Um, So within the last day or two, Amazon announced their two new headquarters. Um, So the headquarters will be, I think it is right outside of the Washington, D.C. area and somewhere in Virginia. And uh, Manhattan. Yeah, Staten Island. a stretch of Queens specifically. So um, with that, with those two expansions of headquarters, it'll add 50,000 new jobs all the way from like C-suite level down. Um, So the article that I was reading, which I think caught my attention just because we are going through some similar things on a much smaller scale currently is how are they going to hire that 50,000 people? Um, And then the article itself talked about their hiring process. So they have these people that they call bar raisers. And essentially the bar raisers are made up of people who are passionate about supporting new hires and actually have the power to veto a bad hiring decision based on 14 qualities that they've identified an Amazon employee to have. Um, So, yes, it was fascinating so some of their qualities I think it said it started with six and then expanded to 12 and then 14 as of recently so they get a lot of people that come in it actually started in their software engineering department Um, but what they found is that the people in that department were argumentative to a degree that it wasn't um, successful or didn't move the ball at all in terms of the hiring process Um, and these people who are, I know, shocker, right? Software say, engineers that are argumentative. It's, it's the worst thing you could do to a software engineer. I know, is I get, know. Make them talk to people. Um, 
Oh, man. So kind of what they've focused on um, or what they've identified is that when it was these software engineers, when it was building out that department of Amazon, what they found is they were always looking in the early days of this to hire the smartest person from prestigious colleges with specific knowledge, right? But what they learned is that the people can have all the education in the world and they can have a degree from Harvard or wherever it needs to be from. But if they don't have a passion for what they're doing, if they don't have the skills to develop, they're not a good hire for them. Um, so in kind of reading this article, it got me to think about our own hiring process. So, you know, talking about the growth and the expansion of the renovation, we'll be able to expand our team by four or five people. Um, over the course of the next couple of years. But what are those positions and how do we hire for them? And um, for us, I know we've talked about it on the podcast before that our hiring decisions are largely based based on culture. Um, and we always say that we just need someone with the personality, but we can teach them the skill that they need. If they have the passion for it, which is one of our core values, and they have the curiosity to learn, which is another, then they will truly be able to thrive in our environment. Um, so one of the kind of steps that they take is a pre-briefing. So the people who are in on the interviews, similar to our recruitment committee, but not quite. Um, so the people that are in on the interviews will get together and they will say, okay, what questions do we want to ask? Um, there are 11 people who interview a candidate at Amazon, not at the same time. No. Um, so each, they take like one or two people will interview a candidate for 45 minutes at a time. Um, and they will identify who is going to ask specific questions. So I went on an interview once um, at a large brand down in Hunt, Va- Hunt Valley, Towson. They were in Towson, Maryland, um, and it was an all-day interview process. So I had already gone through, like, the two phone interviews with HR and then was in an all-day interview, and I, I mean, I probably had three or four back-to-back. So I sat in a room, and they just cycled the people. Yep, in front of me. So I was interviewed again by HR. I was interviewed by, like, three people who would have been my co-workers they would have worked on my level I was interviewed by like the person who would have been my boss plus their boss and then I was interviewed by like a fourth person right so intense and they all ask various questions so they want to know why you'll handle it and why you do this and why you do that and why you do this um So what Amazon does is they kind of have that process, which I think is very extensive. It's certainly not something we would have to do, but they make sure that all of the values and the main goals are accomplished. And then at the same time, it splits up who's going to ask what questions. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that that pre-briefing allows kind of the directors of HR, the directors of the department to help coach maybe the more inexperienced bar raisers. Mm -hmm through specific questions. So if you're kind of new, but you're interested in just supporting people, you at least have face-to-face time to learn and develop yourself as well, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, And they did mention that these bar raisers don't get paid anything extra. They don't get any extra promotion. It is all for just the namesake of it in general. Wow. Which I thought was pretty cool. So yeah, there's that hiring processes. Whoa. Yeah. I would say that that hiring process kind of when I, I remember my one interview at Comcast that was for one of their developer positions. Yeah. And I remember I actually had to sit 
It was, uh, I remember it distinctly. I think it was on the 26th floor. Oh my God. Which was, uh, <laughs> which is, oh, for that floor, it's, uh, it's the commissary floor. And I was in one of the corner meeting rooms. So I remember looking outside the glass waiting and I could actually see the top, or li- the top of Liberty One. So you're already like really yeah. high up. So you're kind of like, nervous, okay, scary. yeah, nervous. And then you go into a meeting room and there's five or six other people that walk in. And they start, and I remember one of the, uh, and I still think about it to this day, one of the interview questions I got was, if you just had a map of just like uh, an area, how, how, what would their process be for estimating the, the number of gas stations in that, in that region? What? <laughs> uh, Google no, Maps. Maps.google.com. If you just had a roadmap, like a road, paper roadmap, how would you figure it out? Because the idea is for developers, you want to figure out what their thinking process is. Right. So okay. I could see, I could see where, and it, it, I'll tell you, it, you freeze up, especially right. for. Firstly, it's a tough question, and secondly, because of the sheer number of people in there, you, you kind of get. Yeah, right. it's intimidating. Yeah, so I think if they're having a process where like you're only maybe having two, like one or two people in a room at a time, it's less stressful because there's less. Yeah. Chance yeah. for failure. It's like because if you had all fourteen people coming into oh, a right. room, you would freak out. Yeah. yeah. How will you convince all of these people yeah. at one time? Right. I always find like being on the interviewer side of things, it's if you're not choreographed to some degree, you all start asking the same question and there's no real cadence to the interview. Mm -hmm. And when there's no real cadence to the interview, the person you're interviewing doesn't develop their own cadence or you can't determine if they're in a flow, they're not in a flow, they're nervous, they don't have an answer for that. They, you know what I mean? Like you can't really get a good impression. And so at that point, you've wasted an hour of your time because at the end of it, when you walk out of the room, your first thought is, do I bring that person back? Do they satisfy the need, the long-term needs of that position or that whatever? And you almost kind of, you're already putting hiring doubt in your own head. I would also say that it's very time effective too, because if you're having several interviews, yeah, you don't need everyone there at the same time. If each section has what, what questions they need, you can go from one interview to the other one to the other one without eating up a lot of time. Yeah. Like if you're just talking for five to ten minutes, mm-hmm. you can probably do, what, 12 interviews yeah. in an hour? Yeah. Rather than sitting in one. And we found that, like, candidates, they interact with one person on our side of things, and that's about it. So whether that's Kate or that's me or Mike or whoever else may be in there, they're really engaging with one person. Um, so if you're if you're diversifying it, I mean, it, it may be a better judgment so hiring is tough no matter how you're gonna go about it and then the other side of like Amazon is that's a ton of growth to manage and I don't know how you manage it and that's what they were saying like they're focused on hiring the right people for the long-term need because then they can better they don't have to worry about the repercussions of hiring the wrong person to satisfy the wrong need so it's just it is a reality of business that you just don't think about unless you're involved in it. Whoa. Yeah. I have a real question, though. Um, how many gas stations? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> the, the way I answered it was, if you, I mean, so just based on observation, if you know there's one gas station around, you usually see another one across the street. You hardly see one gas station. Right. Alone in the wild. Yeah, true. So I was thinking, well, you figure fuel econ- the average fuel, fuel economy of a car 
is how oh, no. many, <laughs> it's like so many miles and then you figure, also you factor in population density too of an area. So, so on that map, did you know where you were? It, it was just like an estimate, like just if you knew. Like did, it, just, did it list towns? No, it was just, just an arbitrary. It was a, it was a figure. It, it's, it's a thought experiment. Yeah, it's. But I was like thinking like, okay, if you do like a gas station for every X number of road miles, because you figure as more populations become more dense, you have more of a clustering of gas stations to serve more people who need to drive more, and you see less gas stations, the more sparse the population is. So I figured that if you had, if you could figure out what that, you know, just doing like a quick estimate, like if you do one, well, two gas stations every for every three miles of roadway, and you sum up the number, like the, the miles of roadway, just have a rough estimate. Okay, so in comparison, <laughs> I would have said 20. <laughs> she would have guessed a number. She would have guessed a number and gone on with her life. But like, it just seems like a great number. <laughs> She's like, well, where am I right now? And how many gas stations did I pass? How many gas stations did I pass on the way here? No. Anyway. That was good. Good answer. Good answer, Tim. I didn't get the job. That was <laughs> Um, so I asked you guys to watch two ads prior to this. Did you get a, get a chance to? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> um, if not, I'm going to just do a little recap. So basically, I sent you a soda stream ad called It's Time for a Change, and it begins with a long table of executives that are lined with plastic water bottles, and the mood is very dark, um, and they're celebrating the success of selling 4 million plastic water bottles. And they all, all the water bottles say litter yes. on them. And then we cut to a woman standing, holding a, a plastic water bottle, that same plastic water bottle, and singing about living in harmony with, like, living things and very hippie stuff going on. And then others come up and join her in the background. They're all holding the bottles. and then Diverse all, others. Diverse others, yes, I think correct. that is key. And then all of a sudden a bird falls <laughs> A bird falls to the ground. Yeah. And he falls. A seagull. A seagull. He falls right at their feet, and they're all standing on a pile of water bottles, plastic, like, empty water bottles. And the bird chokes on a bottle cap, like a plastic one. And then it cuts to a singing turtle. <laughs> this is the best part. <laughs> Which is, who's saying? I think it's Barry Manilow. No. It's Rod Stewart. Yep. No. Rod Stewart, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> like, they had Rod's hair on the turtle yeah. and oh. everything. It was fantastic. Yeah. The, um, the turtle's fin was in a plastic water bottle. And um, then you see, like, seals jumping out of a plastic water bottle sea pit. And, um... Penguins. There's all... Those. The classic water bottles are... Yeah. Yeah. And the pe- yeah, the penguins are all connected by those freaking soda rings oh. to the pack rings yeah. that hold everything together that I get so freaked out about. I have to, like, cut every so single little hole. And, <laughs> and then we zoom out, and you see these massive piles of bottles in the ocean. And at the end, um... The first woman singing and the the guy that's holding the turtle go into the executive's room and they're like, listen, we don't need to sell these plastic water bottles anymore. You can just use one soda stream bottle and you can continue to reuse it and we can save 2,000 water mm-hmm. bottles 
per year and save the world. And that was basically it. Um, but then you cut to Coca-Cola's Hilltop, I'd like to buy the world a Coke ad. The, the how classic long? 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, how long ago 70s. was that? Okay. Yeah. This was, this um, was said, this soda stream ad was said to be um, a play on the Coca-Cola ad, which was a bunch of diverse people singing on a hilltop about how everyone should live in harmony and they all have a Coke and blah, blah, blah. But um, basically what it comes down to is SodaStream was raising awareness about the damage caused by single-use plastic bottles um, and they were encouraging customers to stand uh, stand against the single-use of plastic bottles, yes. Um, it sets up the brand as an alternative to soda brands, um, and they attempt to cater to event, uh, environmentally conscious consumers. So this ad that looks the same as the 70s ad mm-hmm. is beginning the, the soda wars again. Apparently there's a thing called a soda, the soda wars, which is Pepsi against Coke. Coke. Did you know that Pepsi is soda stream? No. They are. Pepsi is part of SodaStream. Time out. Did you also know that Dr. Pepper is part of neither Coke nor <gasps> Pepsi? What? They're separate? Yes. They, they are, are separate. Has that always been the case? Yes. Yes. Okay. They have always been a separate brand. That is why both. That's why places that sell that Coke or them. Pepsi will will both sell Dr. Pepper. Wow. And Dr. Pepper, even though brown like a cola, is technically by definition not a cola. Research it. Mic drop. Yep. Like there you legit. go. Now continue on. So there you go. Wait. No, I didn't know that Pepsi owned Soda Stream, yeah. but Dr. Pepper. There was also <laughs> another Freakonomics from the other day where Pepsi and Coke, they only have 70% combined market share. The other 30% is Dr. Pepper yep. and Apple. Wow. Here's a fun fact just about my own preferences. When I was younger, <laughs> I was, <laughs> in case you wanted to know, when I was younger, I was Pepsi all the way. Yeah. Now that I'm older... Pepsi is tastes false and flat to me, and I only drink Diet Coke. Okay, Diet Coke or Coke Zero, because there's a difference. Diet I... Coke. Okay, you? I don't really drink soda. Get out, Kate. If you had to? Um, cherry Coke. I thought you were going to say Dr. Okay. Pepper. Tim? <laughs> Diet. Diet Dr. Pepper. Yep. Okay. I'm, I'm pure. I'm purely a Coke Zero gal. I like Coke Zero. I'll buy yes. it. But, but I, I like Diet Coke. I, I, I will drink Diet Coke, but I don't like necessarily. The, the difference is Coke Zero is supposed to mimic the taste of regular Coke. Yes. Right. Which is why we buy it in my household because I am married to someone who doesn't want to drink. He doesn't want to drink yeah. Diet Soda, thinks it tastes gross. Yeah. But also doesn't want to drink regular full flavored Coke, as he calls it. Gotcha. For a separate podcast conversation, the. The Coca-Cola at McDonald's. That's an entire oh, discussion oh, oh. that we need to have. Yes. <laughs> How, why, can I get so it via IV? That's a separate podcast yeah. coming soon. Actually, their small carbonation note. is so... Yes. Small I, I, it's their water filters. Oh, that it, like just Their water that. that goes into that soda machine is like filtered immensely. I just why. need to have that in my house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's so much better than like a... Agreed. Tower renovation request. Let's put it in. <laughs> As a need. I, I second that motion. <laughs> a McDonald's Coca-Cola fountain machine. No, let's get let's get the ones that they have where they get, you get the, the printer cartridge flavor injector. Get <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, Great. So continue on your um, original. Now yes. that we've completely so digressed. Um, the SodaStream ad came out right around the time the, the ban of the plastic straw came about. Which was recently. Which was recently. Like, so, like, it was very yeah. timely because they're pulling on the heartstrings about all the animals dying. We're all going to live on plastic. Endangered animals. Yeah, all like, all of that. Um, I experienced it here in Lancaster at different, like, yeah. Yeah. And the ad was supposed to attract younger consumers because um, they're environmentally yeah. conscious. I will say SodaStream has kind of fallen fallen uh, out of mind because my, my parents had one and it was pretty nice, but just the fact that you had to always find a place that would give you the is new... That, right. Is SodaStream like the carbonated water with yeah. the flavoring? Mm-hmm. I've never so, had it. Is it not soda then? No. All? So So what you do is... The, I've never the, used one. the the machine is you if you want to get the carbonation is you have to go get uh, I think it's a proprietary air tank which actually has the mm-hmm. the citric acid and the carbon dioxide and you get plastic bottles that you screw you fill you fill it up to a certain point with water and they give you different sizes depending on how mm-hmm. much so what you do is you fill it up with water you put it into the machine you get to select how much fizz you want it'll put all the uh, you know, the, the carbon dioxide into the water. And then what you do is after you do that, then that's when you get your syrup additive. And you get mm-hmm. to pour, and their big thing is you get to pour as much or as little as you want. Right. So, so yeah. when you purchase these flavor packets, is it Pepsi branded? No, it's just cola, right? They have they have generic flavors, so they, have, they will have like a, a generic cola flavor. They'll have like almost kind of like your... Almost like a, your Mr. Pib, but yeah. you can't really call it Mr. Pib. You'll <laughs> Doctor Thunder. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I've seen in the yeah. It's like hilltop moisture. You can't say Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was I would prefer that. not to have that. <laughs> I love that so much. Totally not Mountain Dew. But I feel like. Not to keep talking about like Coke, I love but this. like Coke freestyle machines, I I am suspect because I like those. I they don't taste great, mm-hmm. and like every once in a while I'm like, yeah, like I would like some lime, and then I'm like, I literally didn't want to like lick lime zest every <laughs> time I take a drink. Yeah, like oh wait, yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then at the same time, like I would love to know how those work. So, uh, so the way they work is you have. <laughs> actually, I actually saw uh, one when they were kind of replacing the cartridges at uh, the pizza place. Yeah. So inside, what they have is each. It's basically you think of it as it is a printer. Okay. So you have your main tap, yeah. which chooses what uh, what kind of drink you want. So if it's the if you want diet coke, you'll get the uh, coke syrup. With your carbonated water input, and then what I'll do is they have uh, the each flavor is basically in like its own printer cartridge. Yeah. So what I'll do is, as you start pouring in the like the it. soda, it will start kind of like peppering yes. it in along with the stream, so yes. it mixes yep. as it kind of. I um, knew that there was a Coke or Diet Coke cartridge that was mixing with water because it tastes like you it. can see it as it comes yes. in. You can see especially get Okay, you've confirmed my yeah. theory. Huh. McDonald's. Interesting. Yeah, go to McDonald's all the time. <laughs> Only for the cook. Or, or Five Guys or any place that uses right. those new freestyle machines. Interesting. Interesting. Sorry, Amanda. Um, that was another digression. Just a final, 
Final note on some statistics. More than half of teenagers, or 54%, say they have deliberately purchased or stopped purchasing from a brand because of its ethics. And 85% of brands think they should minimize their environmental impact. So, what do you think of the SodaStream ad? And what do you think of their play off of the Coke ad? Was it intentional? I think 100%. How does... How can Coke not go to them and say, like, our concept, our creative, our blah, blah, blah. Like, like you've got people, you've got, like, music artists and musicians who are, like, beyond the grave Mm -hmm. coming back and suing people for the rights to a tune. Well, it's, the the commercial is totally different. Like, the the one from the Coke one, that was in 71, right? So Mm -hmm. that would have been just probably towards the close of the Vietnam War. So that was one thing. I remember... But, like, it? literally, it was, like... what? It, what's the name of the Coke ad? It was um, Hilltop... Um, I like no. to give the world a I like to give... I like to it's buy all the And what was SodaStream's, like, name of their song? It was, like... It was... It was, like... Ocean of Change. Right. And then when they start singing the song, it's, like, I can give the planet a drink. Right? Like, come on. <laughs> you just swapped names. Like... Yeah. I, this feels vaguely illegal to it, me. It's, uh, there's a, I forget what it's called. It's just like a G chord. It's, if you know the song, uh, Pocket Bell's Canon. Yeah. A lot of songs use that same yeah. chord progression. That's so true. that's why, like, if you take any pop song, you can mix it yeah. with any other pop song because it uses the same chords. Right. And yeah. it's because it's what most people now listen to. Now I know to. how much perfect was made. It was, yeah, really. <laughs> it was, like, I just feel like it was very, um, it was also very long ago, the Coke the Coke ad, like, I've never yeah. seen that ad. I would never make that reference. I feel old now. But didn't they did, update? Did you, remember, you remember seeing that? I, I, he wasn't, a, that, he I wasn't alive, alive in the no, 70s. But, I was but, say, but, I know, but I've heard the song before. Benjamin okay. Button before. I, I feel like Coke, though, just did an update of that 70s ad recently. Didn't they? I know they were. you had Pepsi doing... Uh, Especially, uh, it was years ago, they actually got flack for it when they had that commercial where they had the people protesting and the one girl handed the yes. one cop. we talked about that last, in the last podcast. And that yeah. was like, that was supposed to be kind of, I think that was supposed to be their version of got the, the 71. And yeah. then they got blasted for yeah. it. Yeah, that was yeah, horrible. I remember that. So now, now they actually kind of pivoted and now they actually focused I on I thought Coke did an updated one as part of a Super Bowl, like commercial scheme. I don't know. I could be wrong. I had never seen the original. Yeah. And I watched the Coke one first. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the SodaStream one second. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, they didn't. Yeah. And then the plastic <laughs> bottles happened. And I was like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be talking about. So. Yeah. I don't know. I think in terms of those statistics, like, I'd like to know the age of those people those younger adults yeah because to a certain degree they're going to get to a point that they're going to say you know what the coke at mcdonald's is a dollar for a large i'm not going to spend 450 for a reusable bottle that i have to do that yeah they're not going to have the time i was going to say if you uh my the one guy i used to work with his uh his his dad actually owns the uh you know the uh uh barbecue place on old philadelphia pike Uh uh-huh they, he actually told me how much money they make off sodas. I believe it. It is disgusting. Think about Kelly. I mean, Kelly yeah. is an avid Diet Coke drinker, mm-hmm. and she will go across the street 
yeah. at lunchtime to buy a Diet Coke and chips just with yeah. her lunch. I'll tell you, I, I think the final price, the, the cost of a fountain soda mm-hmm. can be measured in the cents. That makes me want to Especially that. when they're charging 2 or $3 yeah. a pop. You're yeah. essentially paying for the cup and the straw. Go to Hershey yeah. Park, they're like $5. That's totally yeah. what, so, <laughs> like, so, so I'll tell you this. Like, so whenever you see a promotion where it's like, you know, like kids, kids, uh, kids eat free or like you get this, that, and the other thing, they know all they're going to make all their money back on the drink. Right. Next question. <sighs> just, just going off of, just seeing that ad, would you think twice about using a, a plastic bottle? No. No. Um, like you had a plastic, like you, were, you went to the store next time and you're like, so I have plastic bottles or I nothing. I can say like just from work. So spending 40 plus hours here a week. When I first started six years ago, there were a few of us that like, I brought a I brought a plastic water bottle with me every day. When I left the house, I grabbed a plastic water bottle, and that's what I drank. And yeah, I refilled it with a, from a water cooler, mm-hmm. but I brought a new bottle every day. Now, like definitely, like in an office setting, a lot of people have the reusable bottles for mm-hmm. coffee, for water, so that's helped. But like, we find that like if we buy a case of water and it stays like upstairs, and I don't take it to the basement, we go through it. Right. Because of the convenience factor. Yeah. I don't have to stand there and wait for the cup to fill up a whole, like, whopping four seconds. Yeah, right? Like, I, I can Bird, just... Yeah. world problems. Yeah, right. I know. I can just grab the bottle and go. So, definitely, like, now that I'm working, we work year-round. Yeah. Probably have reduced it. But, like, not that I don't love the environment, but... Right. It's not top of mind. Right. I feel like we only buy, like, a pack of, like, 30, you know, yeah. water bottles if we're having, like, a party. Yeah. we're going on vacation yeah just kind of, that's easy and yeah you just want to be able to grab them if you're going to the beach or something but definitely like using the reusable bottles is big in the last like yeah. five to seven years yeah maybe. i'll tell you what I, I just get annoyed that we don't even have a dedicated office recycling bin yes that yep. annoys me because i, 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 I recycle everything and i'm even pissed i didn't know this lancaster county does not recycle cardboard they burn it Here's the other fun fact. Here's the fun fact of why we don't have a separate recycling bin. This is no excuse. The company that does our trash pickup does not support recycling or charges an obscene amount of money to do it, which is sad. Wow. Considering that we share property area with like a college campus and college dorms, Mm -hmm. put your hands together and, and do the math of a... Oh, no. Weekend of a college student and think about all of the recyclables that are just going into the dumpsters. They do have a recycling bin in the back. It's for the, the dorm, though. So that's where I put my stuff. I put my I think Tower Change, we recycle paper. Yeah. I think we need to have a bin for recyclables and just go I mean, pick any, someone to, to take it down. Yeah, I was going to say, look, we live right down the street yeah. from the waste facility. Yeah. I think we should do it as of okay, right now. tomorrow. Let's do it. Yes. All right, cool. Kate, we need a trash can. Office <laughs> manager. Get it done. Also, oh, what else we need? We needed a um, McDonald's Coke, machine? Coke, Coke machine. machine in there. McDonald's well. Coke machine. I That's don't. Yeah. Yes. And um, yes. puppy mascot. Okay. Okay, great. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming to the podcast. You're welcome. Um, and. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.